Alright, if you have your Bibles with you, please open it up to Psalm 130. And I'm going to start by reading the passage this morning. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. It took me a couple of months of lockdown um, to actually come to a uh, very important realization about life. None of us is really impacted by the isolation in the same way or to the same degree by, by this whole uh, COVID situation, none of us are impacted to the same degree. Some people are doing it worse than me. Some people are doing it better. And that's probably obvious um, to most of you. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's obvious. Maybe it isn't. Um, but without us all meeting together, it is it is hard for us to remember sometimes at least, I think. But, but the fact is, like I said, this is an important fact about life. The same situations in life impact us all differently to, to, to different people, um, different degrees, different uh, um, ways that they uh, impact us. Um, for some of you, uh, the, the pandemic has made virtually no difference. For others, it's completely upended your life. Some of you have enjoyed the chance to slow down and, and spend time with family. Um, others uh, are depressed or, or borderline depressed because of the loneliness and the burnout that you experience as a result of this. And as this comes uh, to a close, which uh, it, it, I mean, it doesn't seem any to any time soon, but it will eventually, um, and we will see that People rebound in different degrees and, and different rates as well. And, and of course, again, there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think a key thing to all this, a key aspect is the different ways in which we find and in which we build within us our hope, our sources of hope. That's uh, uh, what this sermon this morning is going to be about. I've, I've entitled it The Rising of Hope. How does hope rise within us? How does hope lift our spirits? Hopefully this morning as we study this uh, Psalm, Psalm 130, uh, which I read out before, we'll, we'll find some answers to these questions. The rising of hope is, is exactly what this psalm is concerned with. It's, it, it shows us how hope 
rises within us. This psalm goes from the depths all the way up to, to the pinnacle uh, of life, of uh, emotional depths to the, to the pinnacles of praising God in life. <clears throat> this is a, a song that was sung by Jews as they walked up um, the mountain towards Jerusalem where they would seek God. And the, the emotion of this psalm in many ways resembles, it, it parallels that rising up a mountain from the, from the deep valley, as I said, up to the pinnacle of life. That, that imagery is going to shape the three main points this morning. Uh, we'll start by looking at the pits um, and then the path up until we finally reach the pinnacle. Now, as I said again before, different people are going to be at different stages, different life stages at, at, along that progression. Um, and as we go, we'll, we'll see how we can look to God at, at all of these uh, emotional stages and, and how that contributes to the rising of hope. Uh, but first, let's, let's pray uh, and then we'll get stuck into the first point. Lord God, uh, we come to this passage of Scripture uh, uh, seeking that you would help us, Lord. Uh, we, we pray that you would help us deal with life in this broken world. Uh, help us, Lord, find hope. I, I pray that we would see Jesus um, and that through your Holy Spirit that you would uh, cause hope to rise within us. I pray this all in the name of your Son. Amen. <clears throat> Our first point comes from verses 1 to 4. A prayer from the pits. Out of the depths I cry, says the psalmist. Do you remember the first time you, you swam in, in really deep water? The, the first time you, you, you went in water that you knew... Uh, was too deep for you to, uh, to, to be able to cope with. The panic that sets in, the dread, when you realize you can't feel the bottom anymore. Uh, personally, I've, I've never been a very confident swimmer. Um, I'm not so bad now as I was when I was a kid. At least I know now enough to keep me alive. But, but as a kid, I could barely even keep myself afloat. Whenever I, I couldn't feel the bottom, water where I couldn't feel the bottom, water, water where I couldn't reach the edge, that was about the last place on earth I ever wanted to be. That it, it's a place of fear, the, the depths that, that he's referring to here. A place of desperate scrabbling to survive. That's where this psalm starts. Fear, desperation, scrabbling to survive. Now, here the depths are, are a metaphor. They're an image um, of the pain of real life. The, 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 pain, the depths are the pain uh, of loneliness and isolation. The depths are the feelings of futility, of fatigue and burnout at work. 
The depths are, are, are feelings of guilt that just won't go away. Do you, do you struggle to lift your head from the pillow after another restless night? Do you struggle to put food on the table or, or to put a roof over your family's heads? Do you struggle to make your body do what it's supposed to? Do you struggle to get through the day without tears or, or pain? That's what this psalm is talking about. That's, that's the depths that he's referring to here. Maybe you, you haven't realized this about the Bible before, but the people who wrote this stuff, they, they knew what it's like to experience real life. Especially here in the Psalms. The psalmist, the, the, guys, the, the guy that wrote this, um, this psalm and, um, and the guys that wrote lots of different other psalms, that they knew what it was like to experience the pain of real life. They weren't strangers to, to the pain that you and I experience on a day-to-day -day basis. The Jews sang these psalms year after year. They knew the pain of real life. Jesus himself sang this. Jesus resonated with the psalms. He knew the pain of real life. I, uh, me too. I'm, I'm there with you. I know the pain of real life. The depths are real. The pain of life is real. Verse 3, uh, the psalmist gives us an, an idea of, um, he, he has an idea of a cause of all this pain. He says there, uh, he talks about iniquities, uh, or if you've got the NIV, he talks about sins. Uh, now that those those terms both refer to actions uh, that are, are perverted or, or evil, messed up, wrong. He, that's that's what he he sees as behind all this. He knows he's done that. He knows he recognizes his guilt, <clears throat> and he's fearful of that because he knows that if God really called him to account for all this. For everything he's done, he's a goner. He, he knows it's his sin which has brought him down to the depths. He knows it's his sin which keeps him there. Now, you and I, we generally don't like to think of ourselves as, as perverted people, as, as evil, as messed up. I mean, yeah, sure, of course, we all know we make mistakes. That's That's just part of life, but right down at the core of it, we're good people, right? Well, the Bible gives us a different perspective. The Bible gives us God's perspective. And this is, God's perspective is the real perspective, the one that actually matters, the truth. And what's that perspective? Well, God says if we don't, if we think we don't need him, and we really are messed up in the head. We, we, we were never made to live without God leading us and guiding us. Just as a train was never made to live without tracks. When I was a kid, I remember reading a book about a, a train that wanted to play in the fields off the tracks. And so, so, so off it jumps. It, it jumps off 
the tracks. It thinks it's going to have the time of its life. It's going to be free. No more rails to keep it held back. But obviously, of course, it got stuck. It, it, it was the laughing stock of all the other trains until it, someone came along and picked it up and put it back on the tracks. It's 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 ludicrous. It's when again we're not right in the head if we think we can live without God. It's messed up. And and yet we all naturally think like that. We all want to live without God. None of us uh, uh, in our natural state wants the constraints of uh, living under God's rule. Um, and now those of you who are Christians, uh, like me, will know that that there's a, it's actually the most freeing thing um, to be under God's rule. There's, there's uh, an, like a train is, uh, is, is free to move on the tracks, uh, so we are free to live our lives uh, when we serve and honour God. Um, but yet... We do sin because we want to live without God naturally. <clears throat> we do things that are perverted, that are evil, messed up, wrong. We do that because we want to live without God. And as we do these things, as we, we do messed up things, we are going to find that the world is a messed up place. And so that's why the psalmist connected these dots between sin and the depths. Now, um, I don't know whether the psalmist uh, identified a single uh, a, a, a specific sin that he was talking about here. Um, same as we don't know what sort of specific um, situation he found himself in, but and but often, most of the time, we we don't find ourselves in the depths because of specific sins. We, I mean, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes uh, it's it's a consequence of something um, something bad that we've done. But ultimately. Uh, we, whether we have uh, uh, done something specific or not, um, we can trace our, our pains of life back to something evil that has been done by people. Whether it's us, something that we've done ourselves, uh, or, or maybe more tragically, if it's something that someone else has done to us. Ultimately, we can trace it back. To sin. Ultimately, the greatest and most underlying root problem in the world is sin. Which is a very important point. It's so important to our understanding of hope. Because it means that we don't just need someone to fix our problems in life. We that, that's often what we what we hope for, right? We uh, we hope in COVID that uh, that we will find a vaccine, um, that we will 
keep our jobs, that the government will subsidise us or, or we will find an end to the restrictions eventually. <clears throat> we think we need someone to, to fix all our problems in life. And, and of course, we need these things, don't we? we we're going to need them if we want to thrive and, and live uh, during and after the pandemic. This is not uh, something that, that is, it's something that's beyond dispute. But more importantly, if the original, ultimate, underlying problem is that we have done evil things and that we have wrecked our relationship with God, then more importantly, we need God to forgive us and to save us from that. And he does. And he will. Verse 4 says to God, With you there is forgiveness. We can... That, that, that you may be feared. We can fear God. We can know and, and respect God for who he is. We can relate to him properly because he offers us forgiveness. If that is, we ask for it. As the psalmist says in verses 1 and 2, I cry to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This is the appropriate response when we find ourselves in the pits. We need to cry to God uh, for mercy. We need to, to plead with him for forgiveness and for help. And so if you are in the depths today, cry out to God. Acknowledge to him how desperately you need him. Not, not just to fix your problems in life but to forgive and get rid of your sin. Look to him. Pray to him from the depths, as this uh, point is entitled. Tell him of your desperate need. Trust that he will forgive and save you. It doesn't matter how you say it. Uh, he will hear. There is a path out of the depths. It starts here. It starts with seeing this promise, this glimmer of hope, this, this seed of hope in the character of God. There is a path. And that leads us to our second point, patience on the path, uh, from verses 5 and 6. And so we know, uh, again, so far, the, the psalmist knew the promises and character of God. He, 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 he found his hope, uh, the seeds of it in that truth. He knew that God was a forgiving God. He was sure that God had heard his cry for mercy. And he was confident that God would act in a way that, uh, in, in accordance with that. And yet we see in verses 5 and 6 that God was taking a long time to act. So the psalmist has no choice but to wait patiently. 
Three times he says that. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. My soul waits for the Lord. Over and over again, the the intensity uh, we see, the importance of this waiting. It's not that he didn't trust God, right? This this waiting, uh, these depths didn't shake his faith in God. As he says there in verse 5, in his word I hope. See, he's on the path up. He, he has hope. He has these seeds of hope. And he was fully confident of God's promises. And yet he had to wait patiently, continually, desperately. In case you missed it, Verse 6 then reiterates it again. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Watchmen were were the city guards. Effectively um, similar to the emergency services workers today. Um, And of course you have to take your hat off to them, right? The cops, fireys, paramedics, uh, security guards, ED workers, all these sorts of people who... Uh, who work in the emergency sector at night. Working all night with, with no way to predict what might happen. That's, that's not fun. You, you get all sorts of weirdness at night. All sorts of crazy people doing crazy things. Um, and you can imagine halfway through a hectic night how badly they want the morning to come. But that's what the psalmist says. My soul waits for the Lord even more than emergency services workers wait for the morning. Even more than emergency services workers wait for the morning. The psalmist waited and waited and waited. And, and the Jews kept singing this song as they, as they went up to Jerusalem, waiting, waiting. They kept singing this song. They kept waiting, in fact, for centuries. Waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And, of course, God fulfilled his promises in small ways along the way. But but ultimately, hundreds and hundreds of years later, we see the fulfillment start to happen. A baby turns up in the temple. Uh, an old prophet named Simeon says, this is the one we've been waiting for. Uh, an old prophetess named Anna uh, starts running around praising God, telling everyone the waiting is over. God is saving his people. This is the, the, this, the end of the waiting and the start of the story of Jesus. In Jesus God fulfilled his promises of forgiveness and salvation. Israel's faith, the patience here on the path, was not misplaced. God kept his word. He sent his son to win forgiveness and salvation. Hallelujah. And yet we still wait. Salvation has been accomplished by Jesus. It's been won. In that sense, the waiting is over, but it's not 
But salvation is not complete, and so we still wait. You know, I don't need to tell you, we still experience pain. We still do sin. We still find ourselves in the depths. We still wait. And indeed, we still wait for the coming of Jesus. Uh, the, uh, just as he came uh, once to win salvation, uh, he will come again a second time to finish it. Hebrews put it, puts it this way, Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We eagerly wait. We, we, we wait for the fullness of salvation to come when Jesus comes again. We wait for Jesus. And as we wait for that, as we look forward to Christ's return, as we anticipate what it will mean for us, that is how our hope reaches its pinnacle in this life. Which brings us to point number three, praise at the pinnacle. Uh, look with me there now at the, at the last couple of verses. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. As is so often the case in the Psalms, the, the end here is so very different from the beginning. At the start, the psalmist was crying out desperately to God, but here the psalmist proclaims the goodness of God to others. The, the psalmist encourages people to hope in God because of his love and because of his coming redemption. What we see here is the end goal, the, the ultimate pinnacle, as it were, of our emotional response to the pain of life. Or to put it another way, if the, if the first point showed us a seed of hope, here that seed has germinated and grown and blossomed for all to see. Even though his experience of life has not changed, the goodness of God is so great, so amazing, that the psalmist can rejoice anyway. What was it? that the psalmist saw in God's plan that gave him such hope. Again, he was looking forward to the saving work of Jesus Christ. Accomplished there on the cross, his, his atoning death is the saving and magnificent work of God. Uh, twice in these verses, verses 7 and 8, he talks about redemption. Uh, again, that's not something, that's not a word we use all that much, um, outside of church, that is. Um, but redemption is, is just salvation that comes at a cost. It has to be worked, it has to be uh, 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 bought. Um, you, imagine you had a neighbor who, who you know abuses their dog. He beats his dog, uh, leaves it out in the cold. Um, and being the kind-hearted person that you are, you want to save the dog. Now, of course, you could just jump the fence and rescue the dog. But, but of course, that would be illegal. That would be trespassing. It would be theft. So instead, what you do is, is 
go to your neighbor and you try and buy the dog. How much do you want for that dog? Um, and, and you pay that price. You, you pay the price that he names for his dog. And you buy it and you rescue it and you treat it well. That's the idea of redemption. Salvation that comes at a cost. Uh, in ancient times, it was uh, usually used in connection with slavery, um, in the sense of buying a slave's freedom. Um, and so you, you immediately see the parallels uh, with Israel being rescued out of slavery in Egypt. That, God, that was God redeeming them. Uh, that, that's often the way the, the term is used in the Old Testament. But the psalmist says there's a greater redemption coming. There's something worse than slavery that you need rescuing from. There's something greater than the exodus that God is going to do. There's something better than the promised land that God is going to give us. And it's this. The, the sin that I, the iniquity that I talked about earlier, the evil which brings all the pain and destruction and death in the world, God will redeem Israel from that. He will bring them into a, a place of, of perfection, of joy, of, of being with him. And, and not just Israel, we know now. Anyone who trusts in Jesus is, is who God is referring to here. Because, again, Jesus came down to earth and redeemed us. He saved us from sin at the cost of his life. It is him, in him that we find steadfast love and, and the re plentiful redemption that the psalmist talks about there in verse 7. That's why we call Jesus our saviour. Now, again, he didn't fully remove sin from our lives. Not, not yet, anyway. The psalmist probably thought it was all going to happen in one fell swoop. Um, but Jesus has already... But, uh, sorry, um, but, but of course it didn't. We, we still experience uh, pain and, and suffering. But if Jesus has already defeated sin... He has paid the price for our salvation. He paid it when he died. That, that, that was the whole point of his death is, is as payment uh, for our salvation. <clears throat> if he has already paid the price of our salvation, then you can be sure he will finish it. He will one day remove all sin from our lives. He will one day remake our world without pain or, or suffering. He will one day reconcile us back to live face to face with our Father God where we belong. He will one day redeem us from all our iniquities. He's paid the cost and he will finish it. He will save us. Just like the psalmist, we, we don't experience the fullness of redemption. We still experience the pain of life. We still feel the pull of sin. Uh, we still wait. But the hope of redemption 
is so great that the that with the psalmist we can we can exult we can rejoice in mere anticipation of that joy as as paul said the the pain we experience now isn't even worth comparing with the joys you will experience then i, I know it's hard i know that the, the life is painful but the greatness of God's plan, the, the joy of his salvation is so much greater than the pain of life. And we can rejoice in anticipation of that joy. We experience pain. We wait and we wait and we wait. And in all that, we hope in Jesus. Let's pray. God, what an encouragement it is uh, to, that the psalmist could cry to you from the depths and, and, and yet later sing of your salvation. Uh, so often, Lord, it seems like our crying will go on forever, that, that our waiting will never be satisfied. But that is not your plan. You will save. You will bring us into your joyful presence at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And so we pray from the depths, Lord, may Jesus please come soon. In him we hope. Uh, and in his name we pray.